Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. Because they put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. Are you ready now? Oh, I'm sure there's some math. Tom? <laughs> Robert? Yeah. Well, all right, fellas. Well, let's go! How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? So, here's the deal. You know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. I just think that this is a car company that is run by super geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. Tesla. You don't even have Tesla. I remember that. You've got a Model X. seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. It's talking to us at 52, right? Yeah. And uh, first of all, let's get something out of the way. Where the F is Tom? Why do you uh, always do things on Mondays? It's not that I always do things on Mondays. It's that I do things for an entire week, and Monday is one of the days of that week. So this week, I'm in Orlando, Florida, at the American Association of Family Practitioners Conference. Boring. Everybody <laughs> knows the family practitioners are boring compared to emergency physicians. Everybody. Everybody except family practitioners. No, actually, even they know. They are aware. Hey, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, a few quick things. First of all, uh, Tom, where the F are you? We've got that done. Uh, we posted two videos this week about the effing falcon wing doors. And nice job, by the way, Melvis. Thank work you. On those. Go check them out. Um, they're quite exciting. And yes, I called them gull wing doors. And there's a couple of people who were really mean to me, made me cry, and called me something uh, to do with some form of a bag. <laughs> I was one of those people, although I did not call you a form of a bag, but I warned, I knew that the, the Tesla nation was going to fight back about that when you when you called them gullwing doors. If They're I very... was a teenage girl, I would be very upset and depressed, <laughs> but since I don't care, it's not a big deal. Um, and then Patreon, I want to uh, put a plug in for Patreon, for the people that um, who are supporting the show. So Patreon is this way you can go onto our website at TalkingTesla.net, and it'll link you over to Patreon. And uh, this is a way of giving a small amount of money every month to, to support the show. We'd really like to expand the show, do more videos, do more interviews, but uh, it's going to require some resources. So if you love the show, and who doesn't, go over to Patreon and give us a small amount of cash. Now, the other thing I want to say about Patreon is we could actually expand the offerings. We could do sort of a a twice a week sort of a thing. We could give you some of the behind the scenes, but that's actually a lot of work, a lot of editing. And again, it's not worth it if one person really is going to sign up for it. So if you're interested, sign up for Patreon and we can expand the offerings like, you know, have Tom come to your house every week and have lunch with you and stuff like that. We could have better no. sound effects rather than sneezing not, and farting. Yeah. Not that one. No, we could, we could, that. we could, we, we actually had a one hour boxer conversation uh, yes. last week about oh Mel God. trying to figure out what to do about a car. Oh we my could God. share that with you, but we're not going to unless you pay us. <laughs> one hour back and forth about what car to get. In fact, let's ask Tom that right now. Uh, Tom, where are we at with your car? And try and summarize, we don't have an hour. Go. Uh, if I wasn't in, uh, okay. I don't know. The answer to the question is I think I'm going to get a Nissan Leaf. I'm trying to find a 2013. If I can find a 2013 SL that's white, I will buy it. All right. There you go. That's the summary. Now, uh, to summarize the Voxer Storm, I was in a position where I was seriously thinking about getting rid of my three, giving it to somebody in the business who has to travel along with my S, I mean. And then I was I put myself into this same place as Tom. Like, what car do you get right now knowing that the three is a year and a half to two years away? What would you do? It's a whole hour of Oxford Storm 
they're sufficient to say is like I'm not giving them my X because uh, my S because um, it's too hard. Robert, you went to an EV uh, meeting this week. What the hell were you doing in Santa Monica? Yeah, I was at the Alt Car Expo. I was at the sort of pre-conference for the people in the utility world in the uh, municipal world. I, uh, I attended like three or four really interesting like group discussions and panels. Uh, one of which was all hydrogen fuel cell car like cheering squad, which included like three people from the state of California, which gave me incredible gastritis. I, uh, <laughs> I'd already had breakfast and I started filling it kind of churning around. And I had to, I had to ask, well, there was a Q and a question session and I just raised my hand. They picked on me cause they, they didn't know me. I was an unknown and, and I just drilled them, drilled them to the wall on hydrogen fuel cells and how 95% of hydrogen is made from natural gas some from coal, right? Gasification, coal gasification, and that it's not clean, that they tripled the carbon output when you make hydrogen to run your car, that they lose a lot of hydrogen because it's the smallest molecule on the known and it sneaks out of everything. And the guy from Honda just got red-faced, spoke over me. He's like, where's your question? Where's your question? I said, well, you know, honestly, I don't have a question. I just think this is stupid. Why are you spending my freaking tax dollars on this whole crazy mystical hydrogen highway? And at least I got that out. I got some pats on the back and I got filmed by, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, like KCET television. It's on some, it's on some NPR or PBS television somewhere. Excellent. So you, you made the helpful Honda guy mad at you? Wow, Boy, that must the, have taken some work. It was fun, though, because I, I said to both him and the woman from Toyota, who's their fuel cell, you know, rah-rah person, that I thanked them for making some really reliable cars that got me through medical school, but – and then I went in. Big but. <laughs> it's actually a, – it's a total scam – and it's really interesting, like watching politicians right now before the presidential elections. There is nothing they hate more than somebody asking them a real question or putting out <laughs> something that is actually a gigantic flaw. There's nothing that pisses them off more. There Why don't a- you answer it? This is dirty fuel. This isn't yeah. just neutral. It's dirty. What's your response to that? I was like, why do you why do you want to use oh, I said in the best case scenarios, use all solar energy or all hydro or all um wind energy to make your hydrogen, cracking it from seawater, absolutely nothing wrong. You're still using three times the amount of energy than if you just charged up an electric car. It's so, carbs' fault though. You know yeah, that, right? Yeah. So the California well, Air Resources Board, it's their fault. Why? They folded. Because of because they gave extra credits if you could make your car recharge faster. That's 100% of the reason. So I think it was like three or four times as many credits to the same car companies if they could figure out what they call you know fast charging, fast fueling, whatever. And hydrogen fits the bill because you can fuel it just as fast as a regular car. Now, was that unintended consequence? Because if I was uh, a person in Sacramento and I was about a politician, I'm going to sign a bill. That would make sense to me. Fast charging, that would be good. Let's push that forward. So was it unintended consequences that then resulted in hydrogen, which is actually a dirty fuel? Or was it the smart car manufacturers saying, we can kill this thing uh, by having this? I think it was it was easier infrastructure for the car companies potentially to get behind. It was easier for them to get the fuel companies behind it, right? Because they have a thing that they can continuously sell you uh, expensive charging. I, I think there are a lot of things 
that came to bear in that. And I would just say it was Carr being a little bit weak and kowtowing to some special interests. That's my personal opinion of it. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation. It definitely uh, hydrogen fuel cells definitely line the pockets of a lot of the con- currently existing uh, sort of infrastructure, both car manufacturing, make it complicated. Number two, maintaining their their fleet of mechanics and dealerships, maintaining the fuel company or the uh, refineries and the gas companies that are pulling natural gas out of the ground. You know, basically they get to, just like the pharmaceutical companies, they get to extend their patent, extend their profits so far into the future. But the, the guy who was the panelist, his name is, uh, uh, I'll think about it, he was great because he basically said, you know, we only have, you know, like 30 years until we've got to be off uh, uh, carbon-based fuels. And so that amount of time does not give us enough time to actually get this shit done. And so he held their feet to the fire. They're all saying, oh, we'll have this in, in 10 years, in 15 years. We'll build out the highway. We'll, we'll transit. He says, look, electric cars are already here. Why don't we just do that? We are on a race before we're extinct. Yeah. It's upsetting. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, Clean Technia has an article about 50 tips for slowing the electric car revolution. I was just going (laughs) to add one more thing. Oh, one more. Excuse me. I'm sorry. There was a woman who spoke at the lunch. I want to cover this another time. We kind of talked about it in the group. It's a group of young people who are suing the federal government, President Obama, and because they're allowing uh, this poisoning of the planet and they're not allowing these young people this children's trust to have um, the pursuit of life liberty and property and this is a suit that's going forward in the federal courts we'll cover it another time yeah i think that's a very important it's sort of um it's sort of a mass it's a form of protest which i think is very smart sue the federal government as a young person because you're going to destroy my future because you know that what you're doing is bad why aren't you fixing it and i think it's done purely to get this into the spotlight so good on you go for it all right so now let's get back to 50 tips for slowing the electric car revolution this is from clean technica we don't have time to do 50 but you're going to choose a few of these uh it's an article which goes through in a sort of a tongue-in-cheek sarcastic manner how you can destroy the ev industry looking at politicians looking at uh industry looking at uh, the media it's very interesting give us a couple of them I think that this is something that every Talking Tesla listener should read just because it is so funny. Every time you read an article, every time you hear a news blip about Tesla, electric vehicle, solar, you name it, it, it's all in here. This is like um, if forced to produce more electric cars in certain markets, make most of them plug-in hybrids with small batteries that take away from the key benefits of EVs like smooth acceleration, not having to go to a gas station, etc. This is exactly you know why I hate our plug-in Prius. The thing is completely anemic. It doesn't run very far. You're kind of like tethered to a plug in such a way that you almost become antagonistic to it and you just want to drive the f- thing on gasoline. <laughs> so that's one way that the car manufacturers uh, screw the pooch. The other one that I really like that drives me crazy is that they put these anemic uh, converters in there, inverters, so they take forever to charge. Right. And so they put like a 3.3 kilowatt level two charger in there. So it takes like a week to get this thing full instead of putting something like a Tesla uh, 20 kilowatt uh, charger in there that'll make you charge it like 60 miles an hour. 
Right, and the, and the good point about that, right, is like because they're not building out their own freaking infrastructure that you can go to your place of work, there could be 10 people that have to share that plug all day and there's just not enough time in the day to fully charge some of these cars because they have such slow charging on board. So slow charging combined with a lack of infrastructure is a big, big problem And you know, as we talk about ad nauseum on this show. Another one was please act like hydrogen fuel cell cars are the future, not total crap. Explain that you are not doing much with battery electric cars because you believe in fairy dust. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this again, this whole article is 50 things. We could do 10 shows on this one article alone because each one of these things are points I believe we've talked about on this show over and over again. I think it's 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 a good read. We should all take a look at it. And so again, the, the hydrogen thing, that's carb. I blame carb for that personal thing. So that's the politicians, the, the, the next one is like, they blame the media. So like the real question is like, do you guys feel like we're the media also? Like, are we bad mouthing these cars? Because we're, we're, we sort of, we're not like the mainstream media, but we're, and we're, Every week we say, oh, this is wrong and that is wrong and this is wrong and that is wrong. I feel like we're being honest about what's available, but we don't have any control about what's uh, what's available. If we were the media, do you think we'd be invited to go drive the new Chevy Bolt or be invited to the Tesla Q&A with Elon about uh, updating the autopilot? We are media. We're new media. And we are the dingleberry on the buttocks of new media. (laughs) Are we bag media? We are very small (laughs) But it is the stuff that, well, again, the sort of things that the media does, which is just bogus, and but it gets them clicks or it gets them eyeballs, is things like there's a Tesla fire. You blow this out of proportion and it make people think that Teslas are exploding all the time like Galaxy 7 um, phones. When in reality, the number of uh, Tesla fires per mile driven is like one-fifth of that of uh, an internal combustion engine. So you don't actually give the facts. You just say, oh, look, there's a Tesla fire. There's another Tesla fire. These things are exploding, which is bogus. But it gets you, you know, people to watch your show, which is inappropriate, wrong, and bad. Yeah, it's bad for the environment. And it's bad uh, as far as being a a, uh, person who is supposed to be protecting the public and informing the public and let us change it no there are no tesla fires we just should get rid of that term it should be there are tesla smolderings <laughs> tesla meltings um so the interesting thing the takeaway let me finish this one last thing on this so the takeaway from this is there's like four or five things coming to bear against evs you got the politicians the investors you have the media and you have the car manufacturers and i'm going to throw in the fifth one being you have the general public who wants everything out of their cars and we're part of that and we're a little bit guilty of that as well i'm going to take a little bit of falling on the sword for that one so this week's poll is going to be which one of these five things do you think is doing a worse job of making evs move forward there is a difference between being a fanboy and being sort of stupidly sort of just against evs because they're evs i really like um, articles that are thoughtful on saying here's why i don't think the ev revolution is going to work and a thoughtful reasonable discussion about that is good But just sort of these blanket ridiculous statements um, drive me crazy. And I should say, for the record, I get criticized a lot. I think we all get criticized a lot for not being a fanboy. So I have an X, and I love the X, but those effing doors, they kill me. They're a mistake in my mind, and so I'm going to say they're a mistake. 
So let's talk about the Bolt, um, which is, again, a car that I'm very excited about. So we've got an article here from Wired Magazine. It's here. It's great. It drives so far, like from Monterey to Santa Barbara. That's a huge commute. I mean, a lot of people do that, right? Well, the APG uh, range of the Bolt is 238, and that was sort of officially from a few weeks ago. So this this dude from um, Wired Magazine, they took a Bolt from Monterey to Santa Barbara, and they drove it, and they said, you know, we drove a little slowly, and then we drove a little fast, and we went up hills, and we went down hills. And uh, when we got to Santa Barbara, there was still like 40 or 50 miles left, suggesting that the real-world range of this could be, you know, more than 240 miles. What are the implications of all that? Um, for the Model 3 is what a lot of people are talking about, which is the Model 3 is going to have to come in at least that level. You can't really bring the Model 3 in at 215 EPA if the Chevy is 240. So, But I don't think this is a problem. A lot of people are freaking out. Oh, my God, the Model 3 is only going to Yeah, but if you look at the press, it's the Tesla crushing car and Tesla's eaten, you know, they're eating Tesla lunch and Chevy is the new, you know, American car maker that actually makes the car in Korea versus the Tesla, which is actually made in California, which many Americans think is another country. (laughs) I'm not worried about this. I like it. This is a good amount of competition because if it makes Tesla say we better come out with a 250 mile version as our base, I think that's good. Let's just go. Let's talk realistically for a minute let's just say the tesla model 3 does come in at 215 because that's the price point that tesla wants to sell it for and they want to actually down they want to actually make money on this car now they unlike gm have put money into a fast charging infrastructure right <laughs> so does a fast charging infrastructure sort of negate that other 15 miles because i got news for you you could if you would have driven that bolt another 40 miles uh you might as well have made it a freaking bookmark at that point because it is not going anywhere for a very long time they could have probably made it all the way to the oxnard supercharger but oh wait there are no ccs plugs at the oxnard <laughs> supercharger bah. There right, is so charges like, there at the Oxenard Supercharger, but they're J seventeen seventy seven 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 seven, and they're really <laughs> slow. So you're going to have to go to REI for a long time to make it for the rest of the way to Los right, Angeles. So that's my point. Like, like, does that in your minds sort of okay? Like, it's still going to be a better car at 215 miles supercharging on a Model Three with the infrastructure in place. I'd much rather have the Tesla. Yeah, I think EV uh, drivers now understand this that without a supercharger network of some form. This is a good car still for around town. But if you want to use it for longer distance travel, this is a useless car until there is a broad CCS network, which we don't see coming anytime soon. You know, as a Tesla fan, I feel like I can bash this car plenty. I did sit in it. I did like it. It is comfortable. It does have a really crappy uh, aerodynamic profile, which is going to cut down on its range. So, you know, all in all, um, we could bash it. But the reality is... How many gallons of petroleum is this going to take out of the out of the network? I think at thirty thousand cars a year, not a huge amount, but it does move us forward, and maybe it will prove to Chevrolet that they need to get off their ass and actually make an entire range of cars from big trucks all the way down to subcompacts, not just subcompacts out of electric right, so they spent from anywhere from $1 billion to $6 billion to bring this car to market. That's what it, their estimate 
estimates it costs to bring a new car pretty platform to market, right? It's a big that's a big range. It's hard to it's hard to really know. So let's say it cost them one billion dollars. They are gonna have to sell a lot of these cars to try to make that money back. And so we could be wrong here. It could be that America doesn't need fast charging and that they need a really solid commuter car that they don't have to charge every day at work. And maybe that's okay. Again, like it's going to fit that bill to a T. If you have an 80 mile commute, you can buy this bolt. You can charge it overnight at your house. You're going to drive to work. You're going to drive home. You're going to charge it for six or seven hours. You're going to be able to drive to work in the next morning. And for again, 95% of the population, that's going to be good enough. As long as those are people who can afford two cars, if they need to take long road trips to rent a car, do something else. Again, I don't, I think it's a beautiful car that's fitting a lot of bills. So let's not bash it completely, but it does have weaknesses. And that is only weakness, the supercharging network. Yeah, and I agree. I don't want to be a bolt basher. I think this is a really good thing. I think they're going to sell a lot of them. I think it's the perfect around town soccer mum kind of car for a lot of people for those reasons, Tom. So I don't want to be seen as bashing the bolt. I think it's good. We did get a letter, and we'll get to it uh, later in the show, of somebody saying the good news here is that this is an aerodynamically unfavorable car. The Model 3 is a very slippery aerodynamically favorable car. So that means that for the same battery size, the Model 3 will go a lot further than the Bolt. Or the other thing they could do is just put a much smaller battery in the Model 3, making it significantly cheaper or more profitable. So it's actually all good news for Tesla. If they can do this in a Bolt and get 240 miles, then the Tesla Model 3 is going to be able to go further or have a smaller battery and therefore theoretically be uh, cheaper in terms of uh, the battery cost. So that's all good. I'm excited about the Bolt. In fact, I'm already telling a lot of people about it. And if I needed a car today, I'd seriously think about getting one. I'll be first in line to drive the thing. So um, let's now talk about autonomous driving because um, I'm not going to own a car in a few years. Or at least that's what everybody keeps telling me. So here's from Wired Magazine. And uh, this was a big deal a couple of weeks ago. There's a 12-mile square section of downtown Pittsburgh, right? Is it in Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh, which is a good city because there's like bridges, hills, and lots of potholes. Right. So uh, Uber set up a bunch of these self-driving cars with LiDAR and other stuff on them. They're really ugly-looking cars because they sort of bolted this <laughs> stuff onto uh, normal cars. They look like a uh, R2-D2 on wheels. It's a Ford Fusion. Ford Fusion. And so they're driving these around, and it's really an experiment. Now, people have sort of been criticizing this, saying, well, this isn't the future. No, this is an experiment. So they've got these cars. They have drivers in the front seat. They've got all this equipment on there, and it's only a 12-square-mile section of Pittsburgh because what they had to do was drive around in other cars and do 3D mapping and get very accurate 3D maps so the car knew uh, all about the error within it. So that um, takes a lot of effort to do that and you know elon has said the same thing for really full autonomy to work in a tesla they're going to have to get really well located gps 3d mapping so that the car can know you know uh, what's around it but having said that i think it's amazing that this occurred at all that there are these cars that are basically self-driving even though that there's a driver there ready and i think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how technology works if you think that this is a failure because the first phones were huge suitcases, the portable phones. And then five minutes later, they were the size of a small truck. And then they were the size of a flip phone. And then they were an iPhone. And the first iPhone, if you go back seven, ten years ago, was a piece of crap. 
And the iPhone today, it's like could just put a person to Mars. It's got so much power in it. This happens really quickly, exponentially. And I think what you're seeing is the beginning of the exponential curve. Five years from now, you'll look back and go, remember the stupid thing that they did with the Ubers in Pittsburgh? But that was the yeah. beginning. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a bold move. I, I totally applaud it. People are just bashing on Uber. What are you doing? You're going to put people out of business. There's no way you can go. And actually, we have a letter. There's no way you can go from having a an app that just sucks off you know these poor people drivers who are being enslaved, basically, to going to an entire fleet managing organization. But what I took away from this article, and I recommend you go and look at it, is there's an embedded video that shows the view of the uh, Google engineer sort of pseudo pilot. And it looked exactly like being in a Tesla. He's touching the wheel every so often. He's having to adjust and take over once in a while. And the car is a little bit jerky. I think, you know, this all looks very Tesla-like. From an yeah, autopilot I mean, standpoint. Yeah, I think all of it is, is pretty new. So, I, you know, I'll take a little bit of offense at the comment about like that Uber is enslaving people. There are people that work for Uber that are taking that are that are that are using it of their own free will to drive for Uber. It may not be a perfect situation. It may not be the situation that they signed up for originally. They could stop doing it because they are independent contractors. The biggest problem I had with this Wired magazine happened at the end where he said where he referred to them as Ubers trying to get rid of the bags of meat that are driving around their cars because that's going to save them a ton of money. I think that again is freaking clickbait and Wired is better than that and uh, these people are the reason Uber is a multi-billion dollar company, right? So have a little bit of respect for these drivers, in my opinion. Every single one of them that I've met so far have been lovely people that are just trying to make a little bit of extra money. So the the other interesting thing is there's a comment from a, a reader at the bottom of this article where he talks about Uber's future cost structure. And this is something that I didn't really think about, right? Like right now, Uber doesn't have any uh, – real infrastructure costs, right? They're not buying any cars. They're not having to do any of that stuff. When Uber has to buy 10, 50, 25, 30,000 autonomous driving cars, they're going to need some place to park them. They're going to need maintenance. They're going to need to charge them. They're not all going to be electric, so they're going to need some fuel. Like, So Uber is going to need a lot of cash to do what they want to do in the future. It's going to change the way that that company is structured. Can they do it? Yeah, it's interesting, Chris. Um it's been assumed by us and other people that an autonomous driving Uber is just a slam dunk. And the head of Uber himself said, as soon as Tesla makes a Model 3 that's fully electric, I mean, fully uh, autonomous, we'll buy every single one of them. We'll buy $500,000, 500,000 of them. But there is this question of, is it a fundamentally different business to own your own fleet versus what Uber is doing right now, which is renting your car basically from you. Um, but I think the big difference though, and people have used this sort of, it's like being Hertz. And Hertz makes a lot of money by using a car for a while and then selling it on the secondary market. And how is Uber going to do that? I think it's different because if it's an electric car, the single biggest cost of maintenance goes away because the maintenance of a good electric car is very low. People, and they've, he's also said, well, but who's going to buy an Uber after it's at the end of its time? Do you want to buy an Uber car that's been used for 100,000 miles of driving people around? I'm like, why is that any difference than um, Hertz selling their secondhand cars? And they do very well at selling them. So I don't think there'll be a problem with that. Well, but the difference is 
the model is a tiny bit different. Like Hertz is flipping cars every couple of years because they have to have newer cars to keep their customers who keep their customers happy. Now you can't, this is more of a taxi based sort of situation, right? And nobody buys used taxis, right? Like that's not a market. Yeah, I guess that's uh, true. We're going to have to go into this in more detail because it has uh, fundamentally made me question some of the assumptions about fully electric, fully autonomous driving and who's going to own these fleets. But I still think that if you're Uber and you have the opportunity to basically own every single car in the world and drive all those miles and take some small amount of profit per mile, that there is a business opportunity there that's probably worth trillions of dollars. And this is nope. why each one of the ride-sharing organizations, sorry, Tom, is is linking up with an automobile manufacturer. So it's Volvo and Uber. It's GM and Cruise. It's Ford and, I think, Lyft. Um, so this is already being sort of organized. Uh, and, of course, they're all against, you know, versus Tesla. Right, but we're also not, for the most part, not talking about electric vehicles in in all of those cases, at right. least not at, right now. I think in the future, yes, but I can guarantee you that Uber, if th- there's going to be full autonomous before full electric autonomous, at least at the scale that they need it to be. And, and I and again, so they have to buy insurance, things that they're not paying for now. So what my my point is ne- not necessarily that they can't do it. My point is if we're waiting for Uber to come down in price twenty thirty percent, I don't think we're going to see it because their costs are going to go up considerably as a company. Well, supposedly seventy five percent or more of the cost of an Uber is having a driver. That's what everybody that talks about this stuff. It's the driver. It's the bag of meat. Well, the driver also includes maintenance and all of the things that go into making the car work. So really, right. really, how much is the driver? I'm sure it's significant, 40%, 60%, but there is some amount in there that is the cost of running the car. So we'll get some real numbers because uh, they, are, they are published and we'll uh, go into those in more detail. I want to say that I said this before and I'll say it again. I'm with Tom. You get to be an Uber driver if you want to or if you're out of a job or if you want to supplement your income and nobody's forcing you to do that and people are making it sound like you know Uber is screwing these people. Well, if the cost of driving or if the return for driving becomes so low, then you'll leave. Um, it is not a long-term um, proposition for people though. I think if you go in, I'm going to be a professional Uber driver for the rest of my life, they're clearly not going to have drivers sometime in the future not exactly sure when, and it doesn't pay very well. I took three Ubers in the last couple of days, and I love to talk to the Uber drivers, and they're all very nice people. And this one lady said, yeah, I don't make a lot of money doing it, but it helps me pay off this beautiful Mercedes that I'm driving, which Mm -hmm. I couldn't afford in my secretary job, so I love doing it, and I like to talk to people. So she's like, and I'll do it for as long as I can do it. And I love driving my car. Or I'm retired. I met a bunch of retirees. They're like, well, I don't want to get a full-time job. I can do this when I want to do this. So it offers flexibility. I think it's a good deal. A lot of people are also talking about the horrors that will come when these ride-sharing organizations transition to autonomous driving. But personally, I'm not. there's a utility in taking an autonomous ride-sharing ride versus going with somebody who might be interesting to talk to and like hear their life story or have that human interaction until there's like a robot in the car that talks to me and makes something up. I won't be as entertained. Let's talk about Autopilot 8.0. 
Oh, so this is supposed to land on Wednesday. And remember what uh, 8.0 is going to do. It's going to be a change in the interface, uh, the way you touch the knobby bits or the non-knobby bits, as it were, in a Tesla. But the big thing is that it's going to change the way um, autopilot works. It's going to move from um, using um, optical to radar. And so theoretically, it's going to be, you know, three to five times better, whatever that means. So uh, the question I have is, what does it mean when Elon says this is going to be three to five times better than current autopilot? Do you guys understand what he actually means by that? Uh, Three to five times better means he's going to have a third to a fifth as many bad press articles about people (laughs) dying from autopilot. That's Elon's measurement. Uh Nice one. I think it's just going to be, hopefully, it's going to drive smoother. It's going to change lanes smoother. It's going to be a little more proactive about cars breaking in front of cars that are in front of you. Hopefully, it will come to red lights a little bit smoother. It's not going to stop at red lights if there's no car in front of you. So don't expect that shit to be happening anytime soon. And what I really want to know is, is there anything in this update besides the changing of the the visuals that is not going to be autopilot related? Is there any more additional car functionality that I can look forward to as a driver without autopilot? Well, I just got my update and uh, what it actually says after the update succeeded while I was on shift last night, this release contains minor fixes and improvements. That's not the 8.0. That's not the 8.0 update, right? I don't know. I forgot to look at which version I have right now, but this update came to me yesterday. You'll know because the interface is looking very different when we see pictures that are posted on the internet. I might just be too retarded. This often happens before a big software upgrade. They push uh, before the big upgrade, the little tweaks, the little bug fixes, so that then they can push the 8.0, which is supposedly going to come tomorrow is the best guess. Now, one other thing about this... uh, Radar base versus optic base. Big thing that we uh, talked about and has been discussed is the ability now for them to bounce this little radar underneath the car in front of you so that you can see the car in front of that car. And uh, Elon's talked a little bit about it this week saying it won't work if the car in front of you is really low to the ground. So if you're behind a really fast, really low sports car, Warikan. you're not going to be able to bounce this radar up there. So you need to you need to be aware of that. But under normal cars, this sh- should work. He's not Elon confident the way he usually is, which is it's going to be spectacular. It's, great. it's like, yeah, it should work most of the time. <laughs> is this update going to affect your ex severely, you think, Mel? Like, do you, what year and date was your ex well, my, my ex is this year, and it's from a few months ago, and it was one of the first ones. So, yes, it's it has autopilot. This, well, I think is the same autopilot that's been in there since 2014, unless magically when they do this up, they go, surprise, you've got four cameras you didn't know and three radar. I'm hoping right. that's true, but I think uh, it'll, for everybody from about October 2014 to currently – we think that they all have the same hardware, so it'll except have about that the same three, effect. Except for the three-camera setup or the two-camera setup that's been noticed in some Xs. This is in the uh, mount of the rearview mirror. And I, I'm hoping – I'm not prepared to rip that mount off and take a look because I couldn't put it back together. <laughs> but I'm hoping that magically in there there's an Easter egg that I actually have in my X. Three cameras and I'm going to have super special autopilot well, you could actually You can actually see it when looking at the, at the mount from the outside. You can look and see if there are one, two, or three little black triangular uh, sort of whatever depressions. Really? And those are you where the cameras that? are, yes. I'm Tesla going right now. I'll be wait. right back. Tesla Nation will wait. 
Yeah, so that, there goes Mel. He's just exited the studio. I think that it's a good thing. I'm, I'm waiting to hear the feedback from oh the public, Tesla Nation, as to what they think about the updates. I think it's going to be good. I'm uh, optimistic about it. Yeah, I just want to know what I'm getting out of the deal, Robert. It's all about me, Robert. I, I don't know, have well, autopilot, and neither do you. So what are you going to get out of it? Yeah, I've got my left knee and uh, a good sense of the road, which I'm on all the time. But I, uh-huh. I really look forward to being able to just get in my car and pushing, yes, usual destination, take me to work. Boom, I'm gone. Mel's back. What do you have, Mel? I can't tell. This. <laughs> it looks like Damn two it. little camera holly things. Ooh. There's definitely two little aperture things. Ooh, this is exciting. Well, so we'll see. Mel will take a picture of that. We'll post it to the Twitter a little bit later today. Oh, actually, when the show posts, we'll post that to the Twitter. I just don't know what I'm looking at. I'm standing on top of the car looking at it. It's like. Robert will, Robert will help you after we're done. Thank batteries, you. batteries, batteries, Gigafactory. There, today, this, this week, there was so much news, I haven't been able to sleep. I've been up. I've been, I think this week I've gotten probably six or 800 Google alerts about all the things that we follow, and it's just too much. Can't they just space it out? I know. It's, um, it's amazing how quickly this stuff is going. So let's talk about Gigafactory. There's new aerial pictures from the Tesla Gigafactory, which shows that it's going up in uh, these different sections. It was about 14% done when they did the Gigafactory opening, right. and it's growing fast. They're almost uh, – well, so uh, when I was there, there were if – you, if you look on um, electric, there's a great – On what? Electric. Electric. There is a great series where there's a guy who flies around – I put his name down here. He flies around, takes pictures of the of the Gigafactory on a, on occasion. He did another post this week. Thank you to him. I forgot. Lonnie Gans. Lonnie Gans. That's right. And so I have a picture here of what's going on this week. If you look at the picture that's uh, at the front, it shows uh, three solid uh, big squares of Gigafactory with one that's a little bit gray. That one that's a little bit gray, they're just roofing now. That's the one that I drove into when they let me off for the tour. So that was not a building at all. It was just a shell. But now they're finishing that one and adding two more onto it. And effectively, uh, soon they should have the Gigafactory doubled in size. In other words, habitable space doubled in size. And then further down in the article, they have a more detailed picture of the entire Gigafactory. And they've actually lined out in green where the Gigafactory will be. Holy macaroni, this thing's going to be so big. I, I Yeah. It's hard to get a uh, sort of a concept about how big this building is because it's basically in the Nevada desert. And this is an aerial photo from like 40,000 feet. And uh, it's, you know, it looks big, but this thing is going to be massive. And here's how big it is in terms of the production, which I'm really fascinated by. Oh, and I screwed up the audio, so let me jump in here. And uh, at its full capacity, they are saying that this is going to be able to do 150 gigawatt hours a year of battery production 150 gigawatt hours of batteries per year and uh what does that mean well supposedly that you can supply uh about 700,000 homes with one gigawatt so theoretically is this right you can tell me if i'm wrong ladies and gentlemen boys and girls but we're talking about a hundred million homes potentially could be powered by the output of this factory in one year when it's up to its full production of 150 gigawatt hours of battery production per year. Just a massive, massive amount of batteries. As of right now, 
They're only making power walls and power packs, but they are actually producing those two things. I don't believe they've shipped any car batteries out of it yet, but they are making batteries. So if you think about doing every home in the world and every car in the world and every piece of backup battery that we need, sometimes it's overwhelming and you think this is not possible. But when you look at the size of this Gigafactory, if they had three or four or five of these and they went at full capacity, and they went for three or four or five years in sort of a World War II level manufacturing, let's change the planet kind of thing, as Elon has said, you can actually do this. You can actually create enough batteries for everybody's needs and everybody's car, but it is a massive undertaking, but it is not an impossible undertaking. I think it's very very optimistic. I know that uh, one of the speakers at the Santa Monica Alt Expo had quoted someone, I wish I had it off the top of my head, that basically said, there is so much fatalism we can think about when it comes to global climate change, how slow things are moving, how people aren't responding, they're not doing what they need to, we're not doing this World War II blitz sort of mentality of we got to get on top of this to get over this. It could be very fatalistic, but it allows you to hang out with a lot of really nice people. And so as you're going down, you might as well have a nice interaction with Tom and Mel and myself and Elon, and it feels great. There is hope. If there's no hope, then why are we here? There is hope. Elon gives me hope. Let's talk about (laughs) Costa Rica because they, and I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, have gone for 76 days on fully renewable energy. Could the U.S. pull this off? So Costa Rica is a little country. It's only about 5 million people. And it uses a lot of hydropower because it rains a lot and there's lots of hills. So the solar power goes into the water and then the water evaporates and it goes up to the top of the hill. And then they create – this is my spiel about all power is solar power. And they produce uh, this enormous amount of hydropower and it's pretty cool. But this article, which is from Mike.com, goes further and says, in order for the U.S. to do this, it's a much bigger country and it doesn't have as much hydropower. But it is still possible. We really need to push – the smart grid system, which we hear about all the time, and I really want to know, is anybody really getting busy with this? We need a smart grid that talks to your um, cell phone, that talks to your nest, that talks to your car, so that we can sort of distribute the energy that we create, so that we can move it from really sunny states over into not-so-sunny states. Is this happening, guys? What's happening with the smart grid? I've been hearing about it for 20 years. Well, I did an interview with one of the professors from UCLA, Rajit God, he's uh, at the UCLA Smart Grid Energy Research Center. I'm sure we'll maybe feature that at some point or Let's have put him it as a in guest. right now. Do you have it? I do. All right. We're going to insert that it's right now. It's on the now. Dropbox. Actually, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it turns out for the flow, it's going to be better to put this interview at the end. It's really interesting. So at the end of the show, if you hang around, it'll be the after show. What did he say? He is very optimistic. He's working and has actually set up a microgrid at UCLA. All of the uh, car chargers, I think they have 100 car chargers at UCLA. They're all integrated into this smart grid, which allows them to, uh, one, minimize the cost because the facilities department at UCLA pays for the car chargers. And they did not want any of this peak load, uh, peak demand charges that come from the utility companies. They wanted to smooth everything out. And they're basically doing that. And they're also running a lot of solar. He's got another student who's doing a project in Santa Monica at this one big um, solar powered parking structure that has a bunch of car chargers there. So the research is happening. I think that it needs to be more widely adopted, right? People are still thinking that uh, solar panels are ugly, or they're in somehow going to you know, affect the structure, the integrity of the structure. So he's actually working on uh, p- 
putting out real-world, uh, research-driven, factual information, which I think is something we're lacking from a lot of these uh, projects. So uh, that makes me feel a little happy. And uh, this solar roof thing you're talking about, people think that the solar panels are ugly and stuff. Um, there's a lot of movement now with this solar roof. So Elon comes out and says, we're going to create a solar roof. And then all these other companies are now coming out and saying, you know, we already have that. And uh, we've already got some ideas. And now you're starting to see some vaporware about it as well. But one of the companies that I found particularly interesting basically integrated the entire roof into this laminated system so that you could have solar panels. And then where the solar panels, it wasn't worth putting them, they put basically the same kind of structure so the whole roof looked the same, even though only parts of that roof had solar panels and some parts didn't. And you can walk on it and you can wash it and you can do all that stuff. So I'm excited to see what uh, Tesla comes up with. But what's really interesting that happened this week is real world and today is that Tesla just won the world's biggest lithium-ion battery storage project in the world. So some of you might remember that up the road from where we are at the, the Miraloma substation, which is literally about 10 miles away from us, They pump all of this natural gas into the side of a mountain, which also happens to be where there's a whole bunch of people that live on the top of that mountain. And they (laughs) pump all this gas in there, and it's peaker gas, so that when LA needs some more energy, they suck this gas out of there and they fire up their uh, power stations. For peak energy needs. For peak energy needs, the air conditioners are going. The problem is that uh, they sort of cut a few corners and... The methane started leaking out of uh, the side of the mountain, which meant all the people there had to leave. And it also meant that it it was incredibly polluting. Thousands of homes had to be evacuated. And it was so polluting. It's just like it was the equivalent of putting on a half a million to a million uh, cars on the road for over a year. It wiped out California's savings with renewable energy for the year. It was a disaster. And you can go and look at uh, these um, pictures where they do infrared and you see California, and then you see this area that's down the road from us, and you see this giant gas plume that you can't see with your eyes, but you can see under infrared just firing out of the side of the mountain. So a couple of things that come from this. One, it's really a bad idea to shove um, gas into giant cavernous structures over the top of which live humans, because that's bad. Methane and humans do not go well together. You shouldn't cut corners if you're going to do that. Depends. Some of us actually produce methane. I, I produce quite a <laughs> yeah. bit of it myself. It is, and it it's is not obnoxious. at all pleasant. I yeah, knew that true. was happening. I knew that we were going there. <laughs> if you do that, you shouldn't cut corners and you should make sure that you have good safety valves. But going forward, so they're going to put – Tesla is going to put in – Not to mention that it's just not a good idea to – bring this stuff out of the ground in the first place, then try to store it. It leaks God knows how many billions of cubic meters of natural gas have been leaked from the shale uh, extraction places all in the Dakotas. It's not even regulated. Nobody's even looking. I, I wish somebody would be flying over there with an infrared camera and see how much is leaking out of all of those extraction uh, sites. Now, methane, I don't understand the chemistry of it, but methane is far worse for global warming than carbon dioxide. It's like 100 times worse yeah, per unit volume. Yep. So it's, of the cows. It's, it's bad. All the cows. Yeah, yeah. Right. The point is that Tesla is installing an 80 megawatt battery storage system, which will be enough to power 2,500 homes for a day. It's the equivalent of around a 1,000 Model S 85 kilowatt battery. So this is pretty cool. It's amazing, in fact. And one of the reasons that Tesla got this deal is because they could get it started before the end of this year. 
because Southern California Edison or the gas company or whoever's the entity that uses this peaker gas, they're screwed right now. They're not using it for this whole summer. So they've been, you know, relying on other dirty fuels and they have the mandate to do clean energy. And so they're having to put this thing together. So God knows what's going on in the Gigafactory. There's probably five or 10 uh, engineer directors who have probably stroked out by now on this deal. It's definitely something to follow. This is a huge installation. Can they do it? Can they do it on time? Is it going to work? I think we're going to have to follow this uh, in the next few months because I really hope they pull it off. And it's a huge success because then this idea of lithium battery backup at a you know grid level will be something that will be proven in a real-world uh, sort of situation. Yeah, we'll try to get some photos of it. It's really not that far from where any of us live. Well, farther from Robert, but pretty close to me and Mel. So once they uh, break ground on it, we'll uh, see if we can get you guys some photos. And some more L.A. news, just sort of as an aside. The L.A. Um, has voted, uh, the L.A. Council has voted in a 12-3 to 3 vote to make uh, Los Angeles 100% clean energy. Now, they don't actually go into detail in this article um, about how they're going to do that, but at least more and more cities and municipalities are buying into this concept, even though it's really slow at the federal level and it's often slow at the state level. You see these municipalities being very forward thinking, say, well, we're not going to wait. We're going to do it for us. We're going to do it for San Diego. We're going to do it for LA. Now, again, the details will be uh, yes, forthcoming, but they note that LA is very polluted still, much less polluted than it used to be, you know, 30 years ago. For the third year running, Los Angeles was ranked as having the worst air pollution in the country. Um, and <coughs> it's because of all of the damn cars. And if we could make them all electric, that would help a lot. So sure I like this, it's moving forward. But I remember, and let's go back historically, I remember when I came to L.A. about 30 years ago and the pollution was even worse. I mean, you couldn't walk outside without having tearing eyes and it was like sort of cities in China now. And back then there was a big fight because the car manufacturers didn't want to put catalytic converters in and they didn't want to clean up their fuel because it was going to cost so much money and it's going to destroy the industry and uh, you can't possibly do that. And here we are again doing the same crap again. We can't possibly build cleaner cars. We can't possibly have EVs because it's cost too much money and we can't possibly – you've been there, done that, you're all full of crap. Yeah, so they just wanted to set a deadline and put the pressure on people, sort of like Elon saying July 1st, Manufacturer Model E. I respect this kind of thinking. I think it's important. We definitely need to feel the urgency in getting off of fossil fuels. Yeah, that's uh, what is really lacking within the sort of the presidential debates that we're about to have next week. I wish, I hope, I pray that they ask that specific question. What is the biggest issue facing the planet? And it's not ISIS as bad as they are. It is global warming. And the other thing that there was a nice quote in the article, the winds blow in the U.S. from west to east. And we're one of the first to do a $15 minimum wage. When taken with, we, we've taken some leadership on doing some groundbreaking gun control legislation. Let's hope this flows through to the rest of the country. Right, but why are, Why is our freaking air pollution the worst in the country then? Like, so everybody clearly lives we're failing, here. But clearly we're failing somewhere. Yeah, it's CARB's this. fault. There's more work to be done. Blame CARB. Let's go on and talk about SpaceX because we're really... Stretch for time this time. Jeff Bezos, 
Uh, normally, we could just waffle on for an hour and a half, but actually, we've got some stuff we've got to do. Jeff Bezos is about to launch a big rocket. So they, Jeff Bezos, if you remember, is the Amazon CEO and the founder of Blue Origin. And they have some cute little rockets that go up fairly high, but not as high as Elon's rockets. And then they come back down and land, and it's very cool. And I get very excited when billionaires start to compete with each other. So they are about to build a far bigger rocket, a quite of a massive rocket in terms of its height. And it's going to call, be called the New Glenn, and it's theoretically going to be big enough to drop people on the moon. It's yeah. not going to actually have the thrust, though, of the Falcon Heavy. It's going to be much taller. Um, so I don't know why it has to be taller. I don't understand rocketry. Think- We're going to have to ask Robert uh, Bingham, who's down there at SpaceX, to come and explain why this is important to have a really tall rocket and not just a really thrusty rocket. I don't understand. I think Jeff <laughs> Bezos listens to Talking Tesla. I think he was massively offended by us calling his a small phallus. And so now he's come back with a brand new design. This thing is ginormous. He, I have a... I have a uh, piece of art here that I downloaded from a website. We'll put it up on the website that shows his new Glenn rocket, right? Named after John Glenn in two and three stages. It towers over every current rocket on the market. And uh, that just, to me, makes it more likely to be hit by lightning. But if this <laughs> thing uh, really goes, and he's got it, uh, an example with the feet down that it can land, I think it's awesome. It really caught me by surprise. I thought he was just stuck doing, you know, BS rockets for rich people who want to just go into space. But he's really serious. And this thing could take us, you know, maybe this could be a co-carrier uh, of equipment to Mars to set up the Mars colony. Yeah, it hasn't been clear to me what their plan is because currently what they've been doing is just saying we're going to take rich people into space and it'll be very expensive. But that's not sort of a planet-saving idea. So, Mr. Bezos, what is your planet-saving idea? You're a billionaire. You're making rockets. What are you going to <laughs> do with these? I don't know that like sending everyone to Mars is a planet-saving idea. Mars would probably disagree. Mars is probably like, no, we're good without you people <laughs> on us now. No, Mars can't talk, right, Tom? No, Mars can totally talk, Mel. It's one of the smartest planets in the solar system. It's it's sentient, and it doesn't want us there. Yeah, well, it, if it has any brains, it's not going to let us come. It's going to shoot... <laughs> Weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> Tom talks to Mars. Tom talks to the sun. It's That's awesome. true. It is. Hyperloop. Uh, Elon is building a Hyperloop test track. Let's be very clear. They're building a test track over at SpaceX. And we actually saw the rail line. There's an old sort of abandoned rail line there. We actually drove past that when we were at SpaceX. And this is uh, delayed. Because it was due to be done in uh, June, and that was uh, due to be done oh, the year bad. after uh, this summer, and now it's going to be done next week. So somebody <laughs> had a nasty little comment here saying, really? Mm. <laughs> Tesla <laughs> delaying things? At least we know it's really happening, because if it was on time, it would truly be vapor. They even pushed back their contest, their classic. That is awesome. So, but I think uh, it's cool. It's in our backyard. I plan to visit it. I'll take some pictures. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. go down to uh, Eureka. Eureka! which is a restaurant right next to SpaceX. Everybody likes to go there from SpaceX. And so uh, probably a good place to hang out with a long-distance mic and listen in on very, the, very The problem I have with a test That's mile illegal. track of one mile <laughs> is this thing's supposed to go like 800 miles an hour. Right. So by the time you accelerate it up to any interesting <laughs> speed, you're going to crash. Yeah, I so think this is a scale model. So it's about oh, – it's, it's the about size, scale. size of a Lego. 
And at the end of it, they put some padding in case the brakes failed. So it'll yeah, have like hopefully because on one stuff. side there's Prairie Avenue, on the other side there's Crenshaw Avenue, and there's traffic on both of those streets. It's a but again so Hyperloop will help get rid of a bunch of if it works, if it's more than theoretical. Hopefully, it'll get rid of a bunch of uh, energy sucking trains and even electrical energy. This will use less power to do its whole thing. Uh, theoretically we'll see uh, there's a lot of interest in hyperloop in other countries i suspect that we're going to see the yeah. first mass installation if it works in europe not in the states because uh we're slow singapore moscow lots of people want a piece of this thing let's go to the letters and get this thing done oh you don't want to talk about uh, elon talking at y combinator yeah, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, due to some scheduling issues, we're going to have to cut this one short. We had so much more to talk about we're going to talk about next week. But let's do some letters and call it done. Pages of letters? 12 pages. Oh, my. Wonderful. So first of all, we got one from Bill Olson, who is a super geek. And he's talking about supercharger costs. And he's got his own little blog here called TeslaBlitherings.com. And he goes through on this blog talking about how much is reasonable for Tesla to charge and um, for a supercharger network and trying to keep that you know, a little cheaper than it would be for an equivalent amount of gas. And it's really in detail and it's really good. And so uh, I suggest you go to teslablitherings.com and check it out. It'll be an interesting development to see what happens as the supercharger network either uh, is, is paid for per kilowatt hour and opened up to other car companies who might replace their plug with a supercharger plug and actually come to the realization that why are we going to fuck around with our own or proprietary charging setup and use one that's already out there just make it bigger because mel says it's not big enough it make it bigger for goodness sake now uh, this guy's name is andrew arabu is that right arbo arbo <laughs> anyway he's canadian so it doesn't matter if you screw it up um, nice, and he says, cheers nice. from oh, all man, right. joking. It's all right. He said, mate. cheers from Canada. I'm not giving you any money because I'm saving up for a Model 3. And then I thought, hey, Andrew, what about Patreon? A couple of bucks a month? No? Not going to happen? No. Right. <laughs> Jeffrey Mason. Dr. Jeffrey Mason. This was on you, Mel. This was you, right? Oh, this was actually all of us. I think we talked about like having to take our hands off the wheel to, to turn the fan up. Apparently, uh, you can program your little knobbly switch on your steering wheel to do that for you. Uh, we're idiots. Well, I actually knew this. So there are knobbly bits on the steering wheel, and yes. you can get them to do different things. You sort of just program it in there. Yes. But that wasn't really my point. The point was it's still not enough knobbly bits. For <laughs> some people who really like their knobbly bits, and uh, they get really used to just sort of leaning over with even out taking their uh, eyes off the road they know the big knobbly bit is the radio and the little knobbly bit next to it is the air conditioner so for some people having knobbly bits is important but this is sort of a moot point you're because kind of scratching has, your nipple right now yeah, as you're I'm, talking i'm touching myself <laughs> um, this is a bit of a moot point because tesla has a design style that they're using just like apple has a design style and tesla is not going to have 14 different types of knobbly bitted cars they're going to have their <laughs> style and you're going to like it or not just like apple says this is our iPhone. You're not going to have 20 different SKUs for this iPhone like a Samsung phone. This is the way it is. So uh, suck it up. There's not going to be lots of knobbly bits. And the Model 3 looks like it's going to have no bloody knobbly bits. And not right, a knobbly bit to be found. Yeah, the Model 3 wheel has nothing on it. That's interesting. But the other thing is that the knobbly bit on my car, which is an early Model S, I understand. If you set the, the, the rotator knob to fan speed, every time you click it, you should be at the fan speed. But it actually flicks up and down, and you end up 
Somebody's oh choking God. the dog. Uh, you end up with a, uh, a change in the setting. So you think you're going at the knobbly bit for the fan, and all of a sudden you're just turning it off. So, uh, you know, unless they've changed that, that uh, switch dial or the switch, um, I don't know, rotator device, then uh, it's not as useful as you think. So the next uh, letter we got was from Matthew Atkinson, and he got a LinkedIn feed from a, a young lady named Marianne Keller who spent 12 years on Thrifty Car or a Dollar Car Rental uh, board member. So she made a post w- about the Uber thing we talked about earlier about how expensive it is to actually own a rental car company and that, that sort of thing. So it's a pretty detailed letter. Thank you for forwarding that to us, Matthew Atkinson. We talked about it a little bit, but it's just going to be very interesting and a different model for Uber moving forward. And this uh, letter from uh, Marianne Keller kind of points out some of the problems that they could run into as far as buying land, personnel, equipment, blah, 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 all that other stuff. Had a lot of hard facts in it. Chad Oliveri sent us an email, and he's one of a number of people who said, uh, Mel, you're wrong. So Tom and I had this big exciting No, no, no. Fight. What he said specifically Tom was, was Tom right. Was right. right. Tom was right. Let me just say that one more time. Tom was right. So, But not really. <laughs> so uh, here was what the discussion was about, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Tom said, if you've got a bigger battery, then your car can go faster because you've got a bigger battery and you can put more energy across it. And I'm like, no, bigger battery just means how far you can go. The How fast you can go depends on how quickly you can get the electrons across the electric motor. I still stand by that, although I realize I don't have any idea what I'm talking about when it comes to battery technology because there's some very smart people saying here, actually, Tom is correct. The bigger battery does allow you to put more energy across the electric motor. We need to speak to a real expert because I'm really confused. But let's just say Tom is right, even though I'm not sure he's right. <laughs> Do, can you say – can you say – go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. How many letters saying Tom is right do we have to get before the two – sitting across from me <laughs> say tom was right that's all i want to know well you're because- already six or eight on your side yeah exactly so yeah, i mean you but guys still used to give up on this one thing i seek to understand because it just intrinsically makes no sense to me Here, let me so try I to seek explain it to you to understand. i think i explained it to ben over the over the last week go ahead robert i was gonna say can you remember Inconel? Can you remember the advanced smart fuse? These are devices that Tesla has developed to allow more energy to flow from battery to motor. And that was critical in the development of um, ludicrous mode. And before that, I forgot, but whatever, the other mode, insane mode. These were the the, uh, incremental steps that Tesla has used to allow more energy to flow safely from battery to motor. Battery is like a big uh, tank full of compressed water, and you're trying to get that compressed water over to the motor. You only have so much of a pipe. That's the limiting factor. I agree. The bigger the battery, the more you can push out, but you can't push it out safely with the existing technology, and therefore, this is the limitation, is the pipe. It's but it's still faster. The bigger batteries are still faster because if you have a 1,000 batteries at maximum <laughs> output, they can put out X amount. If you have 1,500 of those same batteries at maximum output, they could put out 50% more of that output, which means they can drive the motor faster. Electric motors, the more energy you put into them, the faster they spin. 
period. End of discussion. You're right, Thank Tom. you very much. You're right, Tom. It's just like parallel versus series. I still, I seek to understand. (laughs) I don't understand. I wasted my time in medical school. I should have been an engineer. It's clear to me now. It's true. But at 51, I'm not going back to school. Yeah, medical school really screwed you over, didn't it? It just wrecked my life. (laughs) Stupid. Lex Hunsdorfer. Nicely done. Is that good? He just tells us uh, that uh, we should get the book Getting Ready for Model 3. And uh, he says it's really good. And uh, did he write it? No. No. Another guy did. Roger wrote it. Roger. All right. So uh, Franco Capizzo, is that it? He's got some stuff here about Tom's buddy, right? Yeah, it's like Franco Capizzo. Capizzo. Right. And he also said that Tom was right. And he also said that I, uh, I, I didn't describe it well. And I was saying that the Kia Soul, when I drove it and I flicked the wheel left and right, it tipped like a rowboat. It didn't swerve. It's just kind of top heavy. And I was just making a note that for me, it's very different than the feel of my Model S, but then it costs one fourth or one fifth the amount. And what, you know, if it works for you, go for it. Let's just make more electric cars. Let's buy more electric cars. Tim Jelinas says. That sounds good. Does that sound good? Thank you. Mel, uh, why don't you just go – I was saying I can't open the bloody uh, charging latch cap thing on my X. So when I go to my S, I just press on the top of my Tesla charger and the little dory thing opens up. goes bonk and I put the charger in. Cool. The X, that doesn't work. Mm. And I was like opening the front door and going through all these machinations and then you guys told me just hold down the back of the fob uh, for the trunk – and it'll pop open. That works. Yay. But it doesn't work when I press the top of the Tesla charging cable. It doesn't open the little hatch. It might work if we move On that. the X. On the X on it does On the X. Work. It does on the S. We might, we might do an experiment where we tried using that button on the charging cable and move it up the C pillar closer to the sensor. Then you might find it open. All right. We'll try that. We'll do a little video. Navel Ahmed, um, he says, look, I love the show. And then he s- goes about giving us a huge number of really good links which we'll put in the show notes this is an amazing download this is great really great stuff about ccs charging and lots of other things so we'll put those in the show notes anthony williams is the robert uh, met anthony i met anthony yeah talk, the, talk to us about anthony national drive electric week month Day, month year <laughs> century and so anthony he has a great history with electric cars he's all in he's the one who makes all these ad- adapters and extension cords for j1772s and uh, they have this great drive and basically he told us about some of his great products i think that uh, he makes good stuff i didn't go and buy a j1772 extension cord because i've spent so much money on extension cords that i don't use that i decided not to but he's at quickchargepower.com he's a good guy He's got lots of answers, and we can probably get some great stories from him. Yeah, uh, for full disclosure, we don't get any advertising or anything from um, uh, Anthony. He did give me a brochure, though. He gave you a brochure? Yeah. Wow. You have to disclose that. Yeah. I've got to say that I do actually have one of these extension cords for my J1777777, and I have used it quite a bit. Um, the issue that I think a lot of us will start getting into when Model 3 comes along is this ability to charge multiple electric cars from a single source. And so they have some solution to that, which is on an anti-ape charger, you can put up to four different electric cars 
bizos and then it'll decide which one it charges this at the same a, an time. an extension of that uh, smart grid that I was talking about with Professor Gott that uh, you can do all kinds of really innovative ways of charging cars. And one of my favorites, though we're out of time, is where you take an apartment building and instead of putting all these dedicated chargers and everybody has to share a space and there's leasing of the spaces and all this bullshit, you just basically put a plug, like a, a 110 volt plug at everybody's parking structure at every parking space and you wire them in such a way that you only need a few circuits to run them most people's cars sit at home for 12 plus hours a day and can charge enough for them to get to and from work 60 or 80 miles it's so much easier if we could just get a little smarter and roll this stuff out and not be so obstructionist with oh i can't this or oh i need that uh the next one is from dwight scum Shum. Shum. I just had to say skim. And he said, uh, you guys are idiots. Stop using kilowatts and kilowatt hours as if they're the same things. We're going to try and get that into our heads and do better at it, but I'm sure it's Tom's fault. Kilowatt hours is a measure of storage. Kilowatts is a measure of energy. I'm developing a uh, temporary tattoo that we can put on our left forearms so we can renew it once a week right before the show that we can just look at that and have a few formulas on there. There's two more here that say Tom is right. I just want to put those in there. Yes, okay. Daniel McFarlane um, has a really long but very interesting email here, which is about how bad it is to drive around pulling a giant uh, thing behind your Tesla and how uh, our Canadian friends that are going across the country with their ex and pulling a trailer and just how it destroys your um, energy. And he's got a couple of suggestions here, but one of them basically comes down to why don't you put in a Tesla Powerwall in your, uh, what are they things called, in your uh, trailer, and that'll give you a little extra energy. And he goes through the math here and says it would only give you about 22 miles. But that's a concept that I think is really important. If you want to start pulling around a trailer, you're going to have to have some extra energy in the trailer or the trailer is going to have to have its own electric motor to help push itself along because uh, it sucks a lot of energy. And now this is no different than in an internal combustion engine car. If you talk to people who pull trailers, they'll say, oh, yeah, I get about 10 miles of the gallon when I usually get 20 or 25 miles a gallon when I'm pulling a trailer. So for long distances, though, there's going to have to be some solution to that. And so uh, I think there's uh, uh, this is a really interesting little article or a little um, letter that we will put on the website. Uh, Greg? Sehulak. And he even gives Mel the pronunciation. Stahulak. Stahulak. Greg Stahulak. He's the gentleman that said, you know, that the Model 3 has significantly less drag than the Bolt and goes through some mass saying, so therefore it's going to, if it had the same size battery, go a lot further, like 350 miles compared to the Bolt's 250 miles, or you can just drop in a much smaller battery and it'll be cheaper. I like that. It sounds makes good sense. Although he didn't say three hundred and fifty miles, though. That was with an eighty kilowatt battery. Oh, yeah, he said it. he wants to stop driving after three hundred and fifty miles of driving. Yeah, he He's thinks a fifty kilowatt hour battery would go two twenty two to two fifty. That was his his math. Yeah. Now we did hear from Elon this week saying uh, we're probably going to max out at a hundred and kil- hundred kilowatt batteries, and I'm don't want him to stop at 100 kilowatts because I really think that I want a car of four or 500 miles, even though I probably do not need that at all. What I really need is fast charging. That's well, what, what if really he need. can get a 100 kilowatt battery, he stops making bigger batteries, and he can bring the price of the X and the S down considerably over the next two years. So now you have three very affordable cars. Like if you could get a nice X for 60000 and a nice S, for 50,000, you know, fully loaded with a 100, 100 kilowatt hour battery. Thank you very much. That would be pretty darn cool. 
if they had these three models with like with that as like the only choice, right? They would be able to make batteries, make make cars a lot quicker, be a lot more efficient, which is what they really want to do, and have plenty of range because why? Supercharging. Yeah. Thank and, you. And remember, every extra kilowatt hour of battery you haul around is weight, which decreases the car's efficiency. So just like all of us are on diets, making svelte bodies, having cars that weigh less as well. Yeah, I'm sorry, Tom. I was trying to call you out on that one. <laughs> having cars that don't weigh so much are more efficient. So driving around town doing 40 miles in a day max, you don't need anything big. You should have a S40 basically, Tom. But but what if you think of this? So let's say he does max out at 100 kilowatt hour battery. But over the next five years, he makes that battery 10% lighter each year, mm-hmm. right? That's going to extend the range. It's not necessarily going to reduce the kilowatt hour energy storage of that battery, but it will definitely make that battery go farther. So maybe that's you know their plan for the next bit of the roadmap would be to just make the same battery lighter, smaller, more you know efficient, and and that would get your range extension. Roger. So uh, a couple more people saying uh, Tom is right. Because um, I was. Dr. Galazowinski ding zing. <laughs> Somebody help me for God's sake. Galoskowitz. Galoskowitz. And you. could you name, could you say the last person's name? Chris uh, Ball. No. Soranjit Basin. <laughs> so uh, thank you everybody for their letters. We just don't have time to get through them all. Um, but we really love reading them, even if we don't get to read them on air. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I've got to go. I have a very important meeting. Tom's over there with the alligators in Orlando. He's not going to Disneyland because the California Disneyland is better. I'm just saying. I've been to both. It's a, it's a fact. It's just the way it is. Thank you for coming, Robert. He's yeah. a very hardworking man. He drove a long way in the traffic to come and see us here on Talking Tesla. We will talk to you soon. Uh, autopilot coming out. We might have to do a short. Once it comes out, we'll drive around the X. Exciting. Yeah. Bye for now. Ciao. And for the rest of you that can't get enough, Robert actually has an interview with a professor from UCLA who's specifically looking at microgrid technology and DC to DC, so from solar panels straight into your car. It's a really fascinating interview. It's live, so the audio quality is not quite perfect, but it's pretty good. So here he is, Robert and the professor from UCLA. Well, I'm here with Rajit Geed, Mechanical and Aerospace, and you run the UCLA program in which a lot of forward-thinking Uh, Work is being done on electrification and electric vehicles and bringing the infrastructure to market. Did I describe that right? We're here at the Alt Car Festival in Santa Monica, and I wanted to ask you sort of about the holy grail of charging an electric vehicle. Right now, we have Chatamo and CCS, which charge at 50 kilowatt rate, and that's kind of slow still. But we have the superchargers that run at 120 kilowatts, which is a lot more usable, but still not so great. What about this holy grail of the 300-kilowatt charger? Yes, I I think that we have to think of, um, you know, charging as uh, the uh, sort of a a, uh, path to an end goal. What's the end goal? The end goal is to get a certain amount of energy at a a certain time of day. And, um, and 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 that that means that for for example, I'll give an example of workplace charging. Let's say someone comes into work at eight o'clock in the morning, and let's say they work till five p.m. They have nine hours in the day, and let's say they need uh, 
40 miles of driving. 40 miles of driving translates to roughly 14 kilowatt hours. Now, on a standard level 2 charger, which operates only at 6.7 kilowatts, in a little over two hours, you're going to get enough energy to drive 40 miles, which is the average uh, driving, the, which is the average driving uh, sort of distance per per driver in, in, in here in California. So the question becomes, um, you know, do you need anything more than that? Well, I think that what happens is that if once you start to look at things on a sort of a, on, on, on a wider basis, uh, trying to scale up EVs from the numbers we have in, in, in California, which, which are roughly, um, I guess, a couple hundred thousand from there to, let's say, a couple of million, what will happen is that the needs for, the, for EV charging will be more diverse. So workplace charging is one area where actually you do not need uh, very high-speed charging. In fact, DC fast charger, the one we have two DC fast chargers in my research project, and they're not much utilized. Right. Much more than that are the level two and, in fact, even level one. Why is that? Well, because... DC fast charger is a very expensive asset and you have it installed and you want people to only plug in there for 30 minutes and leave. Mm-hmm. Well, that's inconvenient and you frankly don't. And if you're going to be there for nine hours or eight hours, you can just let it be. And in two hours, frankly, you're going to get on a level two charger, you get enough energy, a little more than two hours, you get enough energy for the whole day. So you have to look at sort of the situation and the circumstances of the needs and the requirements. And within those constraints, you're actually technically better off charging at a lower rate than at a high rate because better for, the better for the battery and better for the grid operator. Remember, mm-hmm. grid the grid doesn't like to have high peaks and neither does your battery. And so, in general, uh, uh, I think that if you charge at a, the lowest possible rate, that's actually best for everyone. Yeah, so why not just have a bunch of 20-amp 110 plugs in a big, long line right. and use that if you're at work? But I guess what one of our concerns... Uh, talking Tesla concern is what keeps people from actually buying the electric car is being able to just one weekend decide I want to drive to Las Vegas and most cars even if they have a range of 200 or 300 miles you'll need to charge on your way to Las Vegas and if there was a 300 kilowatt charger along the way on the highway bam there's no reason to buy a gasoline powered car. Oh absolutely and that's exactly what I was getting to that there's, you know, you have to look at the need, right? So uh, maybe not be for workplace, but for example, if I were to take my electric car to to Las Vegas or San Francisco, which I'm hoping to do shortly, I would like to see uh, along the way a fast charger that charges not not only in half an hour to an hour, but maybe in five or ten minutes. So yes, there's a need for that kind of technology. And, and as long as I don't do that on a daily basis, I do that on a sporadic basis. What that does is that actually increases the uh, potential of people, the number of, that increase the number of uh, potential car owners because they're going to say, well, I, you know, uh, I, I want to be able to, I want to be able to drive to Las Vegas or San Francisco. So I think that that for the long haul, yes, for the long drive, yes, you do need that. You need corridors where you can just just like gas stations. So there, I think that innovation, the 300 kilowatt innovation, would be very useful. And being on the inside, seeing the development from the bench, how long do you think it'll be until we can see that? A 300 kilowatt charger. So, so I think that the 300 kilowatt charger for, let's say, uh, you know, heavy vehicles, uh, uh, trucks and buses, I think that's much, much closer because the, the batteries are large and, and they can take more amps. And, and, and so they, they, because there's many more batteries, they can take the amp here. So, so that I think is, is, is going to happen very, very quickly. Um, for cars, I think it's going to take a bit longer because um, 
It, there's, a, there's a big investment issue and also the issue of the battery degradation. So that requires, I think, probably that be a little bit, that probably a little bit more time. I don't, I, I can't, again, I can't predict when. Now, I'm, I'm aware of battery degradation. I've had problems over the years with my cell phones or other rechargeable batteries. But from what I've seen among Tesla owners, and I know you're familiar with the car company, that over 100,000 miles or 200,000 miles, people are not reporting any significant degradation in, te in the battery capacity, even though they've used the supercharger network on a pretty frequent basis. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. Why are they doing something magical, or what's happening now? Yeah, so I have uh, honestly not looked at that data yet, and I would like to study that data because there's not that many vehicles uh, with that kind of mileage. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, my own mileage is extremely low, uh, mm -hmm. so uh, I would say that I have, I have, I have not observed much degradation in in terms of the the sort of the total range of, of the ba uh, the battery can provide in with my vehicle. Uh, the degradation has been sort of very little, but that's because my mileage is very low. But I would like to see the data. I, I don't. I, I don't want to comment unless I actually. I, I've not done that research yet. To well, be my N of one, I have seventy-one thousand miles on my Model S, mm -hmm. and I'm still able to charge it to over three hundred. I'm sorry, two hundred and fifty miles when I actually do charge oh, it to the very maximum. Which oh wow, that's pretty good. It's very satisfying. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the data is out there. I don't know if anybody has looked at it from a uh, a pure scientific yeah, method, yeah. And, and that would be great. Maybe we yeah, could revisit yeah. that. Yes. So another question is, I have DC uh, output from my solar panels, and my car can charge DC. That's how a supercharger works. Mm -hmm. How can I get, or do you envision the ability to take the DC from my panels, put it directly into my car without having to be converted to AC and then back to DC at the charger? Absolutely, absolutely. So I argue, so in fact, I am doing research in DC microgrids in which we are looking at how to take energy from the solar panel and then directly through DC to DC, send it to a battery or send it to a you know, Shadam or a combo port and an electric vehicle. And that technically, uh, the losses would be, uh, theoretically at least speaking, would be less than going from DC, AC, AC, DC. That's, that, that's, that's number one. So, uh, but what happens there is that, that, that you know, today that technology is still a little bit expensive because the volumes aren't there, number one. Number two, uh, the entire you know infrastructure is based on the AC grid, and it's just easy for us to put it into the grid and then just take it back from the grid. But once DC microgrids start to, uh, I think I think start to get technologically a little bit more advanced, and I think that there's a third issue, which is that you've got see when you do DC solar to DC electric vehicles, that the voltages are different, so your DC DC conversion has to ensure that, that, that it works at the right voltages and it's able to do that and also remember the the voltage fluctuation on DC on, 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 on especially on the solar side and that has to be managed so there's some technical issues they're not insurmountable and they've actually and on the research front they've actually been solved but getting those technologies to work together and then the question becomes you have this completely let's say you have a DC bus then if you sort of now decide to connect that to the AC and what will that connection point look like but if you did a so so so, so if you did an entire DC microgrid that could be an interesting area and that is actually a research uh, area that, that I'm looking at right now and I think that's actually a very exciting opportunity for for, for, you know, for this uh, seems like a natural for the now combined Tesla solar city company that's going to put on a roof have a right. battery and tie to the grid yes. and charge your car and so you know absolutely car. absolutely I, yes. that's exciting I look forward to that yeah. so uh, the supercharger system uh, which Tesla has rolled out is basically seen as sort of the 
the the leader in the industry. Yes. It uh, it charges the fastest. It's very reliable. It's really in a lot of locations that promote travel and really decreases that uh, range anxiety for anyone who owns a Tesla. Yes. Do you see any ways that that system could actually be improved? Like, for example, 300 kilowatt uh, charge rate. Yes, I mean, I, here's what I think. I think that that uh, it gives roughly 90 kilowatts today, which is really quite good for most people. But what happens is when you start increasing, so, sort of when you go from sort of uh, in, in any industry, when you go, you know, when you, to cross a chasm, right? To cross a chasm, you have to convince a common man, a common person, and, and the layperson. So, 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 so for that market, you, you have to have a solution for all occasions. That means that even though there might be one in, uh, a million customers who wants the capability to charge in 60 seconds, you know, if you have a million customers, maybe you do want to target that one customer. So, you know, I think that the 300 kilowatt, the, the, the need today is, 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 is low, given, you know, the, the users today, they're, they're, they're quite thrilled that in 30 to 20 to 30 minutes, you can charge the Tesla, you can give it, you know, at, 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 at rate of 90 kilowatt, that's, that's a pretty high rate of power. So that itself is a huge improvement over what we, we've had. But I think that what will happen is people's expectations will go up naturally. You know, when people say, well, you know, oh, in, in that charger, I can charge in five minutes. Well, then guess what? People, some people will, my well, you know, five minutes better than 30 minutes. And that's how it is. And it will happen. It will definitely happen. There'll be 300 kilowatts. There might be more than 300 kilowatts. Why not? And I mean, if innovation can happen, if, uh, if, if the price can come down and if someone can figure out the business model or someone just does it because it's the right thing to do, and I think that 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 absolutely. I, I mean, I think that you know it, it can happen. Uh, question is uh, when. Right. Uh, overall, how do you think car manufacturers are approaching electric vehicles at this point? Do you feel like they could be offering a little more gusto? There don't seem to be that many cars available. It's only in California, or at least in a handful of states. I'm curious. You know, what could they do better? Yeah, I think I think yeah. So I mean, of course, California. We are very fortunate, and then you know, you go outside California, and it's a different world. Out then, you go outside the country. It's like, I mean, I was in a country in Europe. I'm not going to mention, and I just hardly saw any electric vehicles at all. Um, I mean, there's just maybe like a handful of them. So I think that um, it's it's in early stages, and I think that the, the car companies are trying to figure out. And so 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 California is really the global test market. Um, and, and really, it is global. Okay, I mean, the, all over the world, everyone has recognized that California is the test market. So, I think that they're sort of, you know, dipping their toes. And I think that, but I think that with some of the successes, especially I think companies like Nissan and Tesla have had you know pretty good successes here. So I think that they're going to try to roll those out. But I think it's it, it, you know it, it, it's 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 a challenge, right? I mean, it's it's basically you got to get the charging stations in, you got to get the states, the different. Countries and governments, and to 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 offer the right right incentives, right policies, and it it it's, it's an entire infrastructure play. I mean, you 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 you're not just you're building cars and selling them. You're creating the entire infrastructure, and and it just takes time. Um, but I think that uh, I think we've we I think we've come a long way within in less than a decade, and I think. Uh, uh, I think we have a long way to go, but I think we will get there eventually. I think it is a very exciting space, and I'm very optimistic. Yeah, I love the optimism. Even though some people were talking about fatalism, it's nice to have a goal and work hard for it. So tell me, you work with a lot of students. I imagine they're graduate students at UCLA. And how are their prospects these days after they get done working with you? Um, I think pretty uh, – grad students, they're right now, they're excellent to fabulous. Yeah. 
right now. And so does this give you any insight and, and uh, pass through to big organizations like Tesla or Nissan? Are they working with organizations like that? So it's kind of interesting, right? I mean, students will go where they'll go, and I encourage them to do, do whatever, they, whatever their heart desires. And I think that, I mean, I have one of my PhD students is at Facebook right now, uh, and I have one student who just uh, did an internship at Siemens, and he's now looking what to do. He's going to wrap up his PhD. I, it's, 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 it's hard to say. It's sort of the interesting thing that has happened is, okay, is that companies like Google and, and you know, these companies that were, mm, were not in this business have got into the energy business. Google acquired Nest, and then they have, a, you know, like this autonomous vehicle. And, 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 and I mean, the, the founder of Tesla was actually an, an, a pioneer in the in the uh, with, with PayPal in, in the in the in the internet space, so uh, the barriers to entry into into the sort of the automotive space are not as much as they used to be. You know, you, if you're innovative, you can do lots of things can be done by partner companies. You you can get so I, I mean it's it's hard for me to predict where the next student is going to go. They, they they could be going to work for Microsoft, and Microsoft might decide to have an electric car business. It's, 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 a, it's a very different planet we live in today, and I think that the traditional car companies are taking heed of that. I mean, look at what's happening in Pittsburgh. Uber is partnering with a European car maker for the autonomous um, taxi service, right? And, uh, and, and, and this similar development happened in Singapore, and that's, I think that for this, for this autonomous taxi service. I think, and I think that's another change. And so what will that mean to, to if you have autonomous EVs, what, what does that? And that's another area of research that I'm interested in, by the way, is autonomous EVs. What does that mean uh, if there's an EV that is driving around 24-7? Can it pick up energy wirelessly from the air, for example? So I'm actually doing research, trying to figure out how that would happen. That's a tough problem. So... It's, uh, you know, change is happening in all, all directions. And I think that uh, I don't know where my next student or students are going to land up. And it's, uh, you know, a software company might be making cars. GM just bought into this. Uh, and, 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 and I think and, um, I think it's a, I forget, it's one of these. Cruise, I think. Yeah, some, 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 some company, I forget, some one of these companies that is sort of the ride-sharing company or something like that. I don't know what right. it is. Yeah, so. yeah, no, it's exciting world. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a different world. And change, I think change is, change is interesting, change is good. And I think uh, that results in opportunities for, our, in particular for our grad students who can, can, can drive change, uh, can be sort of, you know, uh, sort, of the, sort of the avant-garde players in change. Well, I thank you for making my stops at UCLA, ensure that I can charge my car and that the system will be stable and available. So you, you know that those 100-plus EV charging stations in the UCLA campus were installed by my center. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, no, that's great. All right. Thanks.